Hello again, and welcome to episode 13 of Pear's Poetry Podcast. I'm John Pear. If this is your first time here, there are a previous 12 episodes available with the same mix of poems, although categories will change when I run out of any particular classification. The first poem today is in praise not of a dark lady, but of the Chateau of Chenonceau in the Loire Valley. Many of you will have seen pictures of it over the years, built as it is on, or almost as, a bridge over the River Cher. Last summer, Caroline and I drove across France to go to the 100th birthday celebrations of my eldest son Simon and his wife Julietta. Lest you start wondering how on earth old I must be, 100 was their combined age. They each reached 50 in July and May, respectively. Chenonceau. Chenonceau sits astride the peaceful flowing river Cher, but from some angles seems to look as if it's floating there, as if the piers that once supported vanished watermill are not and never were there, let alone support it still. The grounds the visitor can enter, paying any time. The house, being rather smaller, needs the crowd to get in line, which happens every half an hour, and then we make a tour of furniture and tapestries and beds with posts, all four. Beyond the former family rooms there is a gallery, with windows on each side from which to see the river free, transporting pleasure boats, canoes and occupants around. The current's gentle, and no one will likely run aground. With gardens, donkeys, goats and fruitful pottager to see, this is an ancient place where it is beautiful to be. The next one is very miscellaneous. As I recall, we were doing a poetry group exercise during July 2017 in which we were given a word by the participants sitting on either side of us, each of which we had to incorporate into poems written there and then. I think it was the malevolent person on my left who gave me grotty. So this is called Grotty Grotto. When I was young, we had three holidays in Harrogate, housed where my great-aunt lived. Just getting there was an adventure, many ways my father plotted out, and I have sieved through memory for the starring themes of that location. One was Valley Gardens Pond, where I could sail my yacht, and history deems that it run out of wind afar. But I was fond of it, frustrating though it be. Surely the highlight was, despite a prize on offer for the first white horse, the neighbour's gnome-filled grotto, cause the little figures were most fun, of course. The next one is from the previous autumn, describing the weather on a particular day, 22nd October 2016. I think 13 is the number of whole hours until I am due to meet Caroline from the station. Autumn thoughts. The sky is heavy today and a bit tattered around the edges by the breeze, stiffer than for some time. High above there are snatches of blue, shape-shifting constantly as the clouds are pushed and pulled hither and thither by the winds at different altitudes. Away across the field, so recently stripped of its crop of maize, the clouds are pockmarked by the low sun's half-hearted attempts to peep through the cracks. 
a few slanting rays visible, but moments later disappeared, only to return slightly elsewhere. It is autumn. The occasional tree is entirely bare, such as the one across the park, but the oaks still have full foliage, starting to yellow. The beeches are piebald, still mainly green at the top, but changing through gold to brown higher up. And the sycamores are astonishing this year, ranging through gold and orange to deep red, as if the colour of their stalks has suffused the entire leaf. The leaves are falling, the year is failing, life is dying back, with just the occasional hint of spring to come, such are the vagaries of the modern climate. Winter draws on, the breeze has been chilled from the northeast of late, evoking thoughts of short days, long leisurely evenings and blazing fires on the hearth. Some people are sad, some have SAD, but I am not downhearted, for I have you in my life and in my heart, my love, and you light up my world in full technicolour glory, filling me with a lust for life, and for you, that I have never known before. We count the days, the hours, almost the minutes to our next meeting, our next chance to touch, to hug, to love, to be one, and, as I write this final line, 13 is such a wonderful, lucky number. The next and the last poem for this 13th podcast is part of a far longer work that is, in effect, a poem travelogue of a holiday Sandy and I, with our friends Sheila and Graham, originally from Leeds, took to Marrakesh in 2002. If you've been following this series of podcasts, you may be surprised at the amount of travelling we did, particularly in the noughties. When the four children were young, we tended to go on the continent in our campervan, or otherwise tried to hold down costs for a holiday for six. In 2000, I sold what was by then my own business, up to 1998 I'd been in partnership, and was employed by the firm I sold it to with the grand title of Consultant Solicitor. As a result, I had a monthly salary, rather than drawing monthly against whatever profit might transpire at the end of the year, very often less than the total I had drawn. Also, the children were all grown up. Marrakesh Holiday By KLM we flew away to sunnier climes that first June day from Graham's local aeroport, where once he did himself disport in Anorak to spot the planes that are well catalogued in Jane's. On Sunday, by Amsterdam, we flew to Casablanca, ran the gauntlet of the taxi rank, hoping it would not break the bank, and safely came to rooms we'd let at hotel booked by internet. A good night's sleep in nice clean bed, a decent breakfast, and we head by further taxi à la gare de voyageur. That's what we are. Where first-class tickets we procure and blue-clad seats we just secure with biscuits, drinks and bottled O, as through the countryside we flow at modest pace, with frequent stop for other trains to pass, or drop a passenger or two at towns that barely rate the word, 
The browns of earth and rock and mud-built wall a far cry from the green and all the glass and concrete weave back home. A landscape scorched and dry as bone rolls past the carriage window as we move from to Marrakesh from Kaz. Our third grand taxi with cheap fare deposits us at Foucault Square. Hotel de Foucault has no pool. The rough guy's wrong, though as a rule it's very helpful. So it is Le Grand Tazi gets the biz. The Ritz it's not, but beds are clean. As we unpack, we've seldom seen the like of plumbing we found there. But the Medina's just round here, and soon we're out to see the sights and souks and all the nighttime lights. The sounds and smells are so bizarre we wonder where on earth we are. But we locate and cross the square, amazed at all the sounds we hear, and enter seething souks that go for seeming miles with row on row of little shops with friendly guys who quite unceasingly surmise that they have got the very thing for which from Bradford we took wing. For now we are just looking round and making this familiar ground. The noise and blare, the charcoal smoke, would make a maiden auntie choke. The crowds, the dance, the tunes, the smells, the water cellars tinkling bells. But we prevail, find what we want, food at our Ghana restaurant. It has a terrace where we sit, surveying every little bit that goes on down there in the square, while we wait for Moroccan fare. Tajine for some, pastilla too. By morning will we need the loo? The food is good, though somewhat sweet in case of pastilla. The meat in tagine is most tender. Then we to our grand hotel go when we need to summarise the day and take some rest, while rest we may. The drums beat out in Jamar el the pulse of Marrakesh, and all are drawn into the square's enticing mesh. A heady mix of smoke and smell and buzz and blare attracts the world to come and wander there. That's it for today. Further instalment of Marrakesh in episode 14. Goodbye.